Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. We have got a real treat today for those interested in asset protection. Today's interview doesn't have a lot of fluff in it. We get right down to brass tacks to help you lock up your investment assets and protect them from litigation. You might want to take notes because this conversation covered a lot of territory and reveals specific techniques and tools used by big real estate investors. Lawsuits are big business for attorneys, but this information really equips you to make your asset portfolio rather anonymous and absolutely boring. If they don't see assets or if your wallet protection is so thick, it wouldn't be profitable to sue, your investments become immune to litigation. I was impressed by how every angle seems to have a special protection. Today's guest is quite clever, and I know you're going to appreciate the depth of knowledge he brings to the table. Today's enriching fact of the day is that there is indeed a correlation between money and happiness. That's right. In a sense, money actually can buy happiness. But of course, there's more to it than that. A 2010 Princeton University study found that people with low incomes were generally less happy than people with higher incomes. But they discovered that very wealthy people also tended to be less happy than moderately wealthy people. The question became, why does money seem to buy happiness up to a certain point and then eventually impact happiness negatively as wealth increases? Should we strive to only make between seventy dollars and $90,000 a year? Well, not quite. In 2017, the Harvard Business School published a study answering the question, low-income people have stress from unpaid bills to make them unhappy. But very wealthy people are often in jobs that require them to work 100 hours a week and spend little or no time with their friends and family. So it's not entirely about how much money you have, it's how you use it. The study found that the happiest people are those who are free from both the stress of unpaid bills and the stress of overworking. They're able to invest in their hobbies, spare time with their friends, and a vibrant family life. Today's enriching fact demonstrates that while money can buy you happiness, if you're smart, it can also buy you more problems and stress. The key is to prioritize what truly matters in your life and have the financial wherewithal to achieve it. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you have children, I'm sure you've already thought about how expensive college is going to be, and navigating the financial aid process is a nightmare all in itself, right? Do you have everything lined up yet, or are you kind of biting your nails just hoping it all works out? Well, don't worry. There's a much better way to line up college funding, get the paperwork sorted out, and grow lasting wealth beyond school years. Go College Planning by Living Wealthy Financial is an amazing outside-the-box service that gives you full control of the process and incredible access to a growing investment you can use for college, trade school, or even to pursue an entrepreneurial vision. You'll receive strategic information to position your child for the school of their choice 
help with application and FAFSA forms, and achieve an ongoing source of funding that grows even as you pull from it to pay for college. This funding is sheltered from financial aid formulas, so it will never count against you and will help reduce your family's out-of-pocket costs so that you can maximize your potential financial aid award. Plus, it's not linked to the markets. There are no penalties for not using the funds for school, and in fact, it makes a great backup retirement plan. Go College Planning can be reached at 1-800-382-0830. If you're ready to secure your child's future and build a lasting investment for the future with complete access whenever you need it, just call 1-800-382-0830. Put this amazing solution to work for you or look us up on Living Wealthy Financial. Joining us today is Scott Smith. He's a leading real estate investor and asset protection attorney and the founder of Royal Legal Solutions, one of the nation's top asset protection firms in the real estate niche. He's sharing with us some of the specific high power secrets that enable his clients to not only thrive in real estate investing, but also become effectively judgment-proof in court. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Scott. It's really great to be here. I'm so excited to share some um, awesome information with you guys today, Teresa, about company structures, taxes, and banking. Um, anything you guys need to know um, about real estate investing or asset protection as it relates to any of your businesses, I'm an open book today. Oh, well, thank you, Scott. Really appreciate it. So you've carved out quite a niche for yourself in real estate investment protection. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, yeah, so I'm a longtime real estate investor. I'm investing for over eight years, maybe nine now. I bought my first property um, while I was in law school, actually, uh, why, many years ago, it feels like by now. And um, currently, I'm invested in you know over 10 different states at any given time in every asset class. I help um, people from all over the country that have all different types of assets everywhere in the country um, ha- protecting and um, hiding their assets using um, some of the most advanced structures that previously were reserved for the uber rich. And now we're bringing them to um, the common investor. You know, anybody that's seeking to have two plus properties um, now has an option that they can have really effective uh, asset protection that streamlines their operations and their taxes and their banking. Um, and I've been doing that now for about four years as my sole practice. So it's um, it's really been an interesting journey. We're up to about 1,500 clients um, across the country right now, um, and we're just growing like like crazy. So um, it's a uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and a lot of work, um, but uh, but I really I really enjoy it. Well, congratulations on your amazing growth. Uh, as a non-practicing attorney, from a practical perspective, I've got to ask you. How are you serving clients all over the country? Yeah, so there's limitations on what I'm able to do for people. Like I can't appear in court and I also can't hang a shingle, right? I'm licensed to practice in Texas and New York. Um, but as attorneys, uh, what a lot of attorneys don't know is that you can help people anywhere in the country um, with, you know, whatever issues they have. And corporations have been doing this for years and years, right? And that's why, like, as a corporation, you don't have to have an attorney in every single state that you operate in. Um and uh, so what we do for litigation purposes is we always, or if there's anything that's really, really local that you need an attorney that appears there in state is we just always hire local counsel 
and then I work with local council on whatever they need to do. If it's a litigation issue or, you know, something that's too specific, like, uh, you know, water rights or riparian rights issue with a piece of property or whatever the case may be. Got it. Got it. So how profitable is real estate investment these days? I mean, what kind of returns can investors expect in this market? And knowing that real estate is very local, right? So that's a very broad question, and it could be different for, you know, people all over the country. Yeah, I I really think that um, the types of returns you can look at can be all over the board, right? You can get some really safe returns at like 7 to 8%. And those are, you know, just checking money up on the board and knowing you're going to get paid back. Um, So that's actually your baseline threshold. Um, from what I see. Um, once you start moving off of that, you have to start building um, a, a stronger network of people and relationships um, for, you know, different types of asset classes. I think there's a ton that are people are doing right now with apartment complexes, especially in the Midwest. And I see regularly see those clients that are making anywhere between 15 to 20% on their money. Um, and then I see guys right now, um, like a good friend of mine, uh, Mitch, who is bought and sold over a thousand homes out in San Antonio right now. Um, where he's making over a million dollars a year with his, you know, real estate flipping company where they do a lot of wholesaling. So I think there's a, there's, there's always a ton of money in real estate just because of the sheer principles of the business and leverage. And there's also no money in real estate. If you follow the mainstream, um, like the really mainstream uh, practices that you'll see people do like in Austin right now, if you, if I bought real estate and bought a house right now in Austin, I'd actually lose money because of how, how, how crazy the uh, how, how crazy the the pricing is for this area. So there's always money to be made, right? If you know where the people are to look for it, and that's one of the things that we do for all of our clients is what we um, try to pair people up. Either people that are professional deal makers and that we we know are really strong deal makers, we'll pair them up with people that are looking to invest money, and vice versa, right? So that way we can facilitate these types of conversations inside of our own private network. Is it true that 95% of real estate investors will eventually face a lawsuit? That seems like a really, really high number. Over a 20-year period, it is. Yeah, so all you have to do is survey the national court data to basically like what happens for for real estate investors. And over a 20-year period, there's a 95% probability that you're going to be involved in a major lawsuit. You'll probably be involved in lots of smaller lawsuits along the way, right, with like tenant evictions or you know, whatever the case may be, right? Because real estate is inherently a um, a litigation hot, you know, industry. I mean, it's one of the hottest litigated industries inside of the entire United States. Uh, but as an investor, you should expect um, to be involved in a major lawsuit during your lifetime. Um, and the, the tricky part is to wrap your mind around with this, Teresa, is that it's over over such a long period of time that a lot of times we don't think about risk like that as people. Um, we typically think of risk in much shorter time frames and we think about it in terms of frequency of like what's happened to us normally. And most of us aren't in our daily lives getting sued and even the people we know oftentimes aren't getting sued a lot. Um, but it's kind of like that thing if I were to ask you right now, like do you think your house is gonna burn down next year? You'd probably be like, no. But then why did you buy fire insurance? Well, it's because we the bank makes us do it because the bank understands the numbers and the percentages of how frequently fires happen inside of houses and what the risks are associated with that, what the losses would be. So they make you buy insurance. That's essentially what asset protection is. Asset protection is really insurance to say, uh, um, 
that we want our basic liability insurance policies to cover us for the 80% of risk that we're normally exposed to, and we want asset protection to cover the other 20% um, of risk that when our insurance doesn't cover us or um, when, uh, when the insurance you know, actually excludes coverage or denies coverage, which is something I also happen to be an expert in, you know, being a former litigator and a you know, lawsuit attorney myself. So why jump through the hoops of asset protection, like, you know, setting up um, a certain amount of asset protection versus buying a really rich umbrella liability policy? Yeah, so uh, insurance policies are great. I'm a huge advocate. Get insured, be well insured. I'm very well insured myself for everything that I do, right? The question really becomes two fundamental things. Is one, does an insurance policy always protect us? The answer is no. Insurance policies only protect against very specific kinds of risk, and most of the times those are accidents. Two, we know that insurance companies deny coverage when claims get expensive. We see that on the news like all the time, right? When a major hurricane comes again or, or whatever, right? And that's on a massive scale. It makes the big news. It doesn't make the big news when, you know, uh, grandma falls through the staircase at your rental property, um, and it was because the staircase was a little bit rotten and the insurance company says, hey, well, you know, she's permanently disabled. This is a major claim. You should have repaired the staircase. This is gross neglig negligence. We're not going to cover the claim, right, because it's a major claim because insurance companies are inherently in the business of collecting premiums and denying coverage whenever the claims are, exp uh, whenever the claims are expensive. Um, third major uh, point about that is um, regarding insurance is, Insurance, if relying on insurance is really what you're saying is I'm going to put my entire financial future in the hands of somebody else to choose whether they want to protect me or not, whether something happens. An asset protection plan, a, a company structure to protect your assets, covers you in the worst case scenarios to make sure that you lose little to nothing, even if the insurance carrier were to deny coverage or exclude coverage or otherwise not cover the entire claim. So I'm thinking about grandma falling down those stairs, right? Um, and I'm thinking, is that a legitimate defense from the insurance company's perspective to deny that claim? It or doesn't really that? matter, does it? Right? And, and, the, and the end result, does it really matter? Because you, they, you could try to you, – what you end up having to do in that scenario is the insurance company says they're going to deny coverage based upon – Rotten staircase, say it's gross negligence, right? Now, remember, insurance companies only cover simple negligence. Those are like basic slips and falls, normal accidents that are cheap to cover. When things get expensive and they get, and you know, you're always going to find them trying to claim gross negligence or wiggle their way out of having to cover it. But if they do decide to elect that route, what you end up having to do is fight off the the claim from grandma, right? For for her saying for her trying to sue you for you know, everything she can, you have to pay for that out of pocket. Then you have to pay out of pocket to sue your own insurance company to be able to make them enforce the claim uh, and, and cover your claim for you after the fact. And most people can't afford to spend, to, to cover two different lawsuits that are easily going to cost you fifty dollars to $100,000 out of pocket by the time you go through a full litigation with both of those, right? So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether the claim was it, by the insurance company is actually right or wrong because the business metrics around this make it where you're totally screwed because you just don't have that amount of cash to be able to fight those claims in a couple of years 
to, to go through that whole litigation process. That's a very different scenario if you're protected inside of a company structure where your losses are, are minimized. Or you could say, okay, well, now you're in a different scenario because it's not your full net worth that's exposed. It's, it's potentially just that one property that you might lose. Um, of course, you could win the litigations at the end of the day, right? Um, but, but for most people, that never happens, right? Because almost 90% of claims, um, 90 to 95% of lawsuits are actually settled before they actually go all the way through litigation, right? So you're just you're actually positioned into a weak uh, a weak negotiating position by not having the protections in place. Got it. Okay, so interesting. So you say that real estate investors can protect themselves from a lawsuit in under a week. So how is that possible? Well, it doesn't take long to create a company structure and deed properties over, right? That's the essence of what the protection is. And typically you're looking at, you know, three different major pieces that have to get put in place. One is the creation of an anonymous um, LLC or a series LLC. I recommend using a series LLC because they're, they're very strong. You can establish them in a number of different states and use them everywhere, just like normal LLCs. People have been doing this forever with Delaware LLCs. You establish a Delaware LLC and you use it anywhere else in the states. A series LLC is, is the same thing. I typically like Texas for it because Texas doesn't have any yearly fees and the asset protection is just as strong as Delaware, um, Nevada, and Wyoming. Um, it's very important where you form, by the way. You need to form in one of those four states. Um, and then you, 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 you go through about a three-day process of getting the LLC filed with the state, the creation of the operating agreements. You create a land trust to create anonymity and the ownership of the company and to hold the property itself in. Uh, and then all you have to do is deed the property from the client's uh, personal name into the name of the land trust. And so that whole process only takes about a week um, if you, you know, push it, the, the timelines, and file one after the other. Um, and um, so it's under a week. You can actually have every asset compartmentalized inside of its own, you know, bucket of liability uh, per the series LLC, uh, as well as hold the asset anonymously and the company anonymously. So if anybody, you know, looked to sue you, it would look like you wouldn't own any assets. Um, if they did try to sue you, the worst case scenario is you're only losing one asset. You're not losing any of the other assets and they can't attack you personally. So is this true, the structure available even if you've got mortgage on, mortgages on your property? Absolutely, because the mortgages, the, the problem that people run into with that is that they're worried about the due on sale clause when you transfer the properties from your personal name into an LLC. And by the way, owning property in your personal name is the biggest, biggest no-no ever for asset protection because that means anything happens in your personal life or anything happens on any one of your properties and people can sue you for everything that you're worth, including all of your cash, your bank accounts, et cetera, your stocks, everything. Um, but with with, and then this is what really stops people before, right? Is because they said, well, I can't transfer the property from my personal name into an LLC because the due on sale clause, I'd risk the banks calling the note due. And then I have to either pay back the whole note or I have to refinance it or something, right? Well, if you transfer the property into a land trust that's owned by your series LLC, you accomplish the asset protection because the land trust is owned directly by the series LLC. And because it's a transfer to a trust, it completely avoids the due on sale clause. 
Um, the banks will see that it's transferred, but they won't care because it'll fall underneath one of their exempt, their exclusions or exemptions to the due on sale clause regarding a transfer to a trust for estate planning purposes. So they'll see it's a transfer to a trust. They assume that it's to a living trust and then there's no um, pursuit thereafter, um, you know, for, for their due on sale clause departments. I've actually never even had a client receive a letter from a bank transferring it inside of the structure that we use. What if they refinance the property? Yeah, so for refinancing, what you're going to want to do is actually transfer the property back out into your name and then refinance it in your personal name and then move it back into the company structure. And the reason that you do that is just to get the best financing terms. It's the same thing when you're acquiring your first 10 properties. You're going to get your first 10 conforming loans under your belt because that's how you get the cheapest rates. So you'll close on those properties. Um, you'll contact us and then we take care of the full transfer um, from there on out. So that way, as a client, you can really just focus on acquiring assets and then we take care of everything else um, that needs to be done for you. So isn't there a fee in some states or jurisdictions every time you transfer, uh, you know, title? Yeah, so there's always going to be some fees, right? Um, like there's a, a fee to record a deed, right, with the county, that those are usually around $20 or so uh, to be able to do that. The bigger fees that uh, people run into that prevents them from transferring properties back and forth are usually transfer taxes or excise taxes. Um, but what you're able to do with those is because you're transferring the property in and out of trust, um, you're able to claim uh, the uh, estate planning uh, transfer, which has an exemption uh, to those taxes. Now, namely, all of these transfers that you're making are into a trust or inside of an asset holding company, and those should be owned by your estate planning trust or living trust, ultimately. Um, so in a broad context, this is for an estate planning purpose, and you qualify for the exemptions. Mm, got it. You seem to have all these answers at the top of your head, right? You, I do this a little bit. this for a while. I, I, I focus, <laughs> I've been focused on this exclusively for like four years of how do you do this and how do you do it everywhere in the country. So we figured out a few things along the way. So sorry to come off like a robot if I am, but <laughs> these, no, are, these are my no. bread and butter. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so what would you say are some of the top techniques investors can use to protect their assets or are these, you know, are you, have you already given us your secrets, right? <laughs> well, this and the broad terms, I think I've already given the secrets, but the, the biggest secret that's out there right now is regarding the series LLC and it's because people haven't really caught on yet. It's been around for about 20 years. It's been involved in thousands of lawsuits and nobody's ever even tried to challenge the structure right? Um, so to me, that means that it's very, very strong. When I read online, people will be like, hey, we don't have a lot of case law about this thing, so we don't know how it's going to play out. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. We don't have a lot of case law, but look at the guys that are most incentivized to be able to challenge this thing and collapse it and then take more money. None of them are going after it. And it's been around for 20 years and thousands of lawsuits. I'm going to think that that means it's actually very strong and we're never going to see case law on it because there's nothing there to challenge. I mean, case law can only interpret when a law is unclear, and, and that's what a, a case does, that explains to you what the law actually means, right? But when you have a very clear law, there's no case law. So that's why the series LLC is very strong. And what makes it the ideal structure for real estate investors is because after you set up one company, one series LLC, you can form an infinite number of child series. Each one of them will compartmentalize their own assets. 
So you have a lawsuit involving property A, it doesn't affect property B, C, D, et cetera. You can accomplish the same thing having multiple LLCs, like one completely new standalone LLC for every property. But the problem is there is that you run into um, tons of costs to establish all these LLCs and upkeep all of them. With the series LLC, there's only one bank account, one company maintained, there's one EIN number, there's one tax return. Everything stays super simple for your operations. No matter how big you scale, your operations stay exactly the same. The only thing an investor has to do after they go um, through our setup process is find great deals and then track their income and expenses for each property in their accounting, which can be done in QuickBooks or Excel. It's really simple. Um, all you do is the money comes in and you say, okay, you tag it for this money and this expense belongs to property A, this money and this expense belongs to property B, C, D, et cetera. Um, and then because it's all in one bank account, there's really nothing there that you can really screw up as long as you keep um, accurate accounting records. How expensive is it to set up? You know, the combination of the series LLC and the land trust as you recommend. Yeah, so uh, there's a variety of, of packages of things we put together because there's more, the systems that we use ultimately actually have a huge amount of synergy um, that's beyond just the asset protection because we also use to set up shell companies to protect you personally, not just your assets. We use solo 401ks um, to be able to do tax sheltering. Um, we combine things with your estate plan. So we have a number of different packages, um, some of them in our most basic levels, um, are typically uh, around you know three to five thousand dollars, and at the higher end of things, you're usually looking at about nine to eleven thousand. Um, and there's a range in between there of different things to be able to do. Um, but what we find is is um, a couple of things that our customers really like is that we have um, the packages that we put together all have um, different. Uh, levels of what investors need depending on where they're at and what it is they want to accomplish. And, and as I said, it's, it's not one individual legal trick that really makes you a strong investor. It's a holistic piece of what it is that you need um, for, you know, great wealth building and great wealth management, which is you need asset protection. You need to have your insurance put in place. You need to have the tax structures put in place. You need your book keeping running right, your financing, your banking, all of these pieces. And that's what really what we've combined together in a one-stop shop. There's one place that you can go to says, oh, we look at all of these pieces for you and coach you through all of them. So that way you know that every major aspect of your financial um, your financial, you know, scenario is, is addressed appropriately. So you talk about anonymity. So isn't it true if you're involved in a lawsuit, you've got to disclose all your assets? So how does anonymity work? Yeah, so if you're involved in a lawsuit at the very end of the lawsuit and they're looking to collect on it, you have to disclose where the assets are, right, or that they could potentially come after for whoever's liable to it. So what you do for anonymity, though, is really about trying to stop lawsuits before they ever start, because litigators with, um, will always look whenever they get a, you know, a potential lawsuit that comes across their desk, right? They, they hear the story, they half care about whether the story is even true or right, and they even half care about whether the law is on their side or not. Um, because any decent litigator can trump up the facts and, and make the law be whatever they need it to be to be able to, to, you know, at least file a lawsuit and try to get a settlement. What we do is 
hide the assets from the public records. That way, if somebody looks to say sue you, Teresa, what happens is is they don't see any that you own any companies and they don't see that you own any properties. So it looks like you don't you're not a very good target for a lawsuit. Period. Because it doesn't look like the attorneys are going to get paid and that there's going to be a payday payday out at the end of the day. Um, and so when you look at lawsuits as as a business, which is what they are, with attorneys trying to get paid and people trying to get paid out of your pocket, and you limit that information, then that's how you stop the lawsuit before it starts. Now, if they were to continue with the lawsuit and they tried to sue you personally, well, ideally they wouldn't be able to because you'd be protected and have running all of your businesses behind your own shell LLC, which doesn't own anything, but it operates all of your business, collects all your rents, et cetera. Um, if they try to go that route, well, all your worst case scenario is winding down your shell LLC and starting up a new one. Ideally, they're not going to be able to sue you personally because you personally probably haven't done anything because everything that you've done in your business world has all been sheltered through your shell LLC. If they tried to sue one of your assets, like grandma falling through the stairs, all of those are compartmentalized inside of their own individual child series of the series LLC. So she can sue and go after that one asset, but she can't go after you and she can't go after any of the other assets of the series LLC. So at the end of the day, um, you have the anonymity, which stops the lawsuits before they start. And even if they do continue with the lawsuit, all they have is that one asset. And, and that's all they actually have a legitimate claim to, which would be that one particular asset. They don't get to come after any of the other ones. So I've always been curious from the perspective of, you know, someone looking for your assets, can they find assets that were transferred to a trust? For instance, if it's, you know, John Smith who transferred assets to a trust, can they find that John Smith transferred assets to the trust? Of course. Yeah, that's part of the, pro the real property record. And then after the property is in your name, there's no way that you can remove yourself from the, the, the property roles, right, of what that is. So what we do is we look at and say is that we transfer the property to a trust, and then we transfer the property such that it always will look like it's a legitimate transfer for um, an investor purpose. So a normal and a real estate investing practice is that one person will close on a property. We call them a credit sponsor or the deal maker, right? It's the person that put their own credit up to be able to acquire the asset. And then what they'll do is they'll transfer the property into the into a trust to be able to avoid the due on sale clause. And then the trust itself will divide up the asset among a number of investors. So that way you can use one person's credit, but then everybody gets to participate inside of the asset, even though they couldn't qualify for the, the same you know, credit, right? And there's a lot of people that do that for credit sponsors or wraps, et cetera. So if you structure the paperwork correctly, they'll see that the name is in the chain of title for the piece of property, but it'll look like there's a valid transfer. And at the end of the day, what you leave them with is a guess. They can guess that maybe you still, you own that piece of property or have an interest to in that property. Uh, but remember, we only half care if they guess right, because even if they guess, you know, quote unquote, right to be able to sue, well, it's still already protected inside of the series LLC. So at the end of the day, even if they guess, they're, they're met with even more bad news about what it is that they're going to have to fight through. So does all of this work if I invest in real estate that someone else is managing? Yeah, absolutely. So That's a very common practice. Okay. 
So I'm an investor in somebody else's deal, right? Let's say um, there's a syndicate or, you know, someone's raising money to buy an apartment building and that's their area of, area of expertise and I'm just an investor. Would I do the same thing that you're suggesting? Yeah, I'd recommend it. Um, I recommend that all of your assets uh, be um, sheltered inside of an asset holding company, like a series LLC, regardless. Because it's just the practice of like what rich people do, right? Rich people don't own things. They have companies which control things for them. But they don't actually own that yacht. I mean, they would never own a yacht in their personal name, right? It's always sheltered through an asset holding company. Um, and and that, that's true in syndications. It's true everywhere. So you would never... There's always a, there's, you should never really want to do any business inside of your own name or own any assets in your own name because of the moment that you do, all of a sudden you face, you know, extra exposure. So, um, so why do it, right? I mean, the same asset, the same company structure that you're going to use to put in place to protect your bank accounts and to protect your stocks is the same LLC that you can use to do all of your syndications through. So instead of like trying to make the decision on like, oh, well, I got this one little tiny deal that I'm working on. Should I put an LLC in place for it or not? No, like just put it, put the series LLC in place for you to protect all of your assets from now until the end of your life. And then it's a one and done. You have one foundation of operating of how do you control assets for everything in your life and then everything is protected. So you're talking about not only real estate, but I can have a series LLC for my different investments. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it can, it can be um, a series LLC allows you to create on your desktop for free an infinite number of child series. Each child series is treated as if it were its own LLC for all, all, all intents and purposes. It can have its own EIN number, its own operating agreement. Um, you know, it can file its own taxes if it wants to. Free child series doesn't have to. Um, and you can chop those up into any number of different businesses, any number of different assets. Um, but all of your stocks, all of your extra, extra cash, um, any investments that you make should all be sheltered through an asset holding company. So what's your target market in terms of your perfect client? What's their net worth? Like, Give me an a analysis of who this avatar is for you. Yeah, so uh, typically um, anybody that has or wants to have like two or more properties or has assets that are above $100,000, typically as we start saying like those are the people that you automatically become a risk because the reason we target $100,000 is because that's typically what attorneys are looking for to make sure that their clients can get paid and they can get paid. If they want to target, you know, under $50,000, you find claims typically don't get filed at all because there's just not enough money there for everybody to get paid out. 50 to 100,000, it's pretty sketchy, you know, on like if that's going to happen or not. There's a few of those claims, but over 100,000, it's a no-brainer. People just file those claims because they know you have too much to lose, and so they know you're going to settle for a fat settlement. So, um, so most of my clients, I would say, have between are 50,000 plus. I would say the vast majority of them are $100,000 plus um, in net worth. Um, we, we look at some people that don't have any properties at all, and what we're doing is setting up foundations for them that are correct so they can grow off of that in the next three, next three years and acquiring properties. Um, and I have some clients that have, you know, 200 properties. And for those guys, we're sheltering, you know, we're multiple series LLCs, and we're using that in combination with like offshore, you know, Nevis uh, Trust or Cook Island Trust or some people that want to use trust, you know, out in Hong Kong. Um, for, for those doomsday button, you know, type scenarios, um, that might come up. 
Um, because at the end of the day, when you're looking at asset protection, you're you're really trying to you're really trying to find out is, is what is the what is the sweet spot of what do I need to be you know spending to make sure that my you know assets are um, are, are fully protected. You know, because I work you work hard to build them, right? So um, you you really will go in that realm. So we find out is once you have about a hundred thousand dollars in net worth is when it can really start to make a lot of sense for most people. So how can our listeners find you online? Yeah, super easy. Um, if you just start Googling Scott Royal Smith, you'll actually find that I've been on a ton of podcasts, um, radio shows. I'm all over the, you know, all over the globe, you know, talking about this stuff um, in terms of uh, the Internet. And um, you can always come to royallegalsolutions.com. We have a ton of great information um, on there uh, to be able to help educate yourself. Um, if you want to reach out to us directly, you can call us at 512-757-3994. I'd also love to hear from you guys directly um, at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at royallegalsolutions.com. And uh, we also have the Real Estate Nerds podcast, which is really about, um, not necessarily about real estate and the real estate deals. It's really about the investors um, that are behind the real estate deals and what they did or didn't do that led to their best and worst deals. So it's a very much of a touch point of what is it like to actually be a super successful investor and have big downfalls or big wins. And what do we actually attribute how we're thinking and what we're doing that allows us to be able to, you know, great, do great investments. Because, you know, if you talk to any of these guys that are really successful at building wealth, whether it's in real estate or, or whatnot, um, you know, most of the technical pieces are not what people differentiate, what actually separates, you know, people that are making it from not. It's actually about mindset and how aware are we of what's going on with us when we're making decisions or how we're analyzing deals, um, what goes through there. And that's what we really explore in that show. So um, any one of those ways, the Real Estate Nerds podcast, the royallegalsolutions.com website, um, the phone number, um, you can call us or uh, my email, Scott at RoyalLegalSolutions.com, are all great ways to hook you guys up with a ton of free ebooks and uh, great info. So you've been so informative. You're obviously such an expert at what you do. Scott, thank you so much for the value that you brought to our listeners at Living Wealthy Radio today. And really, really appreciate you coming on and would love to have you back in the future. Yeah, it was really great to be here, Teresa. I hope we get an opportunity to share some more with everybody soon. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.